0: Mullen's looking to throw There's Kittle wide open. Kittle in Denver territory. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. 85 yards.
1: You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with
0: Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now, it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my partner in crime. He is your Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, there's something about this Broncos team I don't know what it is, but they just find a way to play down to their competition. I know what it is. It's Vance
1: Joseph. I said it either after the Chargers win or the Steelers win. Uh, It's putting lipstick on a pig. It doesn't uh, overwrite what Joseph, the mistakes he made prior to those games. And what do you know? Those mistakes did pop up again when he was sweetly, poetically enough— out-coached and outclassed by Kyle Shanahan, the man who should have, in my opinion, been hired ahead of Vance Joseph in a game the Broncos had to have. They came out extremely flat, and I'm going to say this a lot today, it falls on
0: coaching. I tell you what, I would be, you know, it's like you look at the the task that Bill Musgrave has, and, you know, he doesn't exactly have the most talented, toolsy, Gunslinger of a quarterback. He's got Case Keenum, which is like a game manager's game manager on a on a good day. But I would still be curious to see Kyle Shanahan, who springs off the same root and tree as his father, Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak. I would like to see what he could have done with a Case Keenum in his offense. You know, running running the ball, stretch play action, uh, bootlegs you know, moving pockets. I think they could have made some magic together, but, you know, alas, that's just something that will... We'll have to charge it to the game. We're never going to know.
1: It's just to me, it's like, you know, you saw Kyle Shanahan before the game talking to John Elway. It's like what could have been, you know, it's like they interviewed three candidates and they Vance Joseph was one of them and Kyle Shanahan was one of them. And they went with the the underdog and it kind of surprised people. And everyone who disliked that move last January dislikes it as much as they did on that day today. It was the wrong move to make. And at least... Elway was witness to the fact that he made the wrong choice, and I'm with you. If the Broncos had Kyle Shanahan, they would not be 6-7 and seven right now. That man gets the most from his team, and his record be damned, he does. He's a better coach all around, and he would have had the Broncos in much better shape than Vance Joseph.
0: By the way, everybody, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. If you want to be able to get into the Mile High Mailbag each and every week, you got to follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Also, if you have not done this, take some time, make sure you leave a creative review, and rate the show. We prefer you give us a five-star rating, obviously. If you're listening to the show, it must mean you really like what Zach and I are cooking up, so give us that five-star rating. And, of course, we always like getting your feedback and thoughts on on the show. And then also, we got to just really quickly say thanks to the sponsor of today's show, Audible. You guys, we've been telling you for a long time now, Go out and get yourselves a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/slash huddle up. You got over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from. Whether you're on iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, that's audibletrial.com/slash huddle up. So, you know, I've been I wrote about it earlier in the week, Zach, and it really didn't get a lot of play. You know, it's kind of like as a blogger, as a as a content creator. Sometimes you write things and send it off into the, inter- the, the internet ether, and, and you'll get tons of engagement back. Sometimes you send it off and you don't get much back. And I feel that. Of this particular topic, I didn't get anything back. It really wasn't sexy in the sense that Broncos country really wanted to spend much time thinking about it. And what it was, was the opportunity for Kyle Shanahan to kind of sharpen his knives here and get back a little bit at John Elway and the Broncos mm. for passing on him because you can't underestimate the emotional component that can go into certain matchups. Like you look at it for Kyle Shanahan right now. He's 2-10. and ten. He lost his franchise quarterback early in the year, which spelled curtains for his team, and he knew it. They go on lose, you know, however many games in a row. Things are just not looking good. There's one thing, though, on his schedule that makes him chin up. There's one thing that he can look up on the wall on that Calendar circle December ninth, and his opportunity to exact some modicum of revenge on John Elway and the Broncos for passing on him and choosing to to hire Vance Joseph. And I think that's one thing. I mean, if you looked at that Niners team today, I mean, they were galvanized, dude. That team was playing with such amazing intensity. I mean, they were out kicking their coverage in a figurative and literal sense. Like they were just playing above their their mean. And it was a team that whatever Kyle Shanahan's message to them was leading up to this game, I mean, they bought in. They came out. They threw down because not only did you have an offense doing its thing, especially in the first half, but, dude, that San Francisco defense was playing balls out freaking to the wall, just shutting down the Broncos. And there's a lot more to it as far as trying to explain it than just, oh, the Broncos were without Emmanuel Sanders. Like – Case Keenum didn't play well, but the Niners played out of their minds. And all I'm getting at, though, is we can't... I mean, Kyle Shanahan had an axe to grind, Zach, and he exacted his pound of flesh, so to speak, from John Elway. Mm -hmm. But let us not forget... He wanted this job in Denver. I mean, he even talked about it in the press about what a dream it would be to succeed his father who, as a boy, he was walking the sidelines, you know, with his dad and all this, to one right. day be the head coach of the Broncos. And, they, and then he gets passed on, the storybook ending. Just when you're about to get there, boom, the book closes on you. But he got his revenge today.
1: You know, it's so, so funny you say that because I was thinking during the game, especially during the first quarter, they kept showing Kyle Shannon on the sideline these shots of him, and it looked like they were trying to make it and frame it to be a personal angle. It looked like he was – and you can see it on his face. It looked like it meant a little more to him. I you're absolutely correct, and he played it off twice that he said he never really thought that he was going to get the job and he didn't get his hopes up, but you can tell on some level he was disappointed that his old – the franchise that his father was a, a legend in, you know, he couldn't get the job there, and he went to an unknown guy in Vance Joseph, and he did have the Niners fired up. Another thing I thought during the game, they were playing passionate, inspired football, and that's what's dangerous about facing a team with nothing to lose is that they played desperate, and they play loose, and the Broncos were tight. They sleptwalked through this game, and the Niners were charged up. They wanted it more. They played harder. They were better coached. They were better prepared. Uh, they deserve this win, and the Broncos deserve this loss. I, the Niners simply, with Kyle Shanahan, whatever he said, Broncos related
0: or not, he got more out of them than Vance Joseph did with Denver. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was a coaching staff in Denver, completely outclassed, outcoached, and it's it's really what I focused my post-game uh, article on on the website. You guys can go check it out, which basically just, you know, it's the same mistakes, the same sins that we've seen from the Vance Joseph regime over the last 18 months of real time, you know, we've seen those sins over and over and again. And, you know, th- we went about a three-week stretch with them being able to play clean and coach clean, but it all came home to roost those chickens in week 14. And we can start with Bill Musgrave, who really just terrible. the disjointed, wacky game. I mean, it's one thing you could tell that the Niners went into this saying, you know what, Sanders is gone. There's one guy who scares us offensively, so we're going to stack the box our defensive line that is replete with first-round picks. We're just going to completely stuff the run, sell out, and play man coverage on the outside and force Case Keenum hopefully into a lot of third-and-long situations where he has to hold on to the ball, and that's exactly what happened. And he just wasn't up to snuff in terms of being able to carry the team. And meanwhile, you had Musgrave making some questionable calls, which I think the the most – there were two things that really stuck in my craw – well, I guess three, really. But two of them happened on fourth down late in the game. There was two fourth and threes, right? And the first one, uh, the Broncos do a, a toss to the outside to Philip Lindsay. He gets bottled up a yard short. Turnover on downs. The second one, of course, is a pass. Again, it's trying to get the ball to Philip Lindsay, which I understand. He's your only real playmaker on the offense at this point. You're trying to get him the ball. But again, right. shut down. And then later on, you have four consecutive passes from the one-yard line. What in the heck was going on with Bill Musgrave, dude?
1: Must have been watching some old Seahawks Super Bowl highlights (laughs) of Marshawn Lynch. Nice I don't know. I, I Honestly, he's done some nice things this year, Bill Musgrave, but he's way too inconsistent for my liking. I, I like the Broncos' aggressiveness, and I like the idea of getting Lindsey the ball, but the play selection itself was just mind numbing. I mean, uh, it was a low percentage chance of working, and it's not the play they should have called in that situation. And that's been the case with Bill Musgrave all season. And it's just like the rest of the Broncos and their coaching staff. They're good one week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks in a row, but it all comes back and all unreal. Ravels in the end and that's what you saw today uh, i give the niners though a ton of credit they came out with a great game plan they had great gap assignment amazing tackling on philip Lindsay. Oh, i mean right. i don't think uh any team played philip Lindsay better than the niners played today um i give them a ton of credit they they get paid too but the broncos coaching they lost
0: this game for them it's plain and simple yeah i think a lot of it too Um, you know, you can lay at the feet of Joe Woods, who obviously in that first half especially, I mean, that was, that in and of itself, like if Joe Woods got fired tomorrow, it wouldn't surprise me. Because Mm -hmm. just like the Niners went into week 14 knowing they had one guy to stop, the Broncos went into this game knowing, George Kittle, you bottle him up, and you basically completely stopped the Niners offense. And what happens, he goes for over two hundo in the first half alone, (laughs) including that 85 yarder and he gets a touchdown and i mean it was brutal and you could see that woods had assigned kind of a a triumvirate a trio of safeties that were taking turns trying to cover kittle one-on-one whether it was simmons or stewart whether it was will parks later on you got a little bit of sue craven so you had four different guys at times trying to cover him one-on-one and the Niners telegraphed their intentions early on in that game, saying, look, we're going to feed the ball to Kittle early and often. Like Shanahan was like, look, I'm putting this out on Front Street. I'm telegraphing <laughs> this across the frickin' gridiron here. Hey, Joe Woods, I'm going to be going after the tight end. Stop us. And Joe Woods did not adjust. It took till mm-hmm. the second half for them to adjust, and that's a scathing indictment on Joe Woods. It's, it, you know, it would be one thing, Zach, if the game's over and through it all, Kittle emerges with, you know, six, seven catches and 80 yards, something like that. Like, I could understand that. But over 200 yards, I mean, were ridiculous it for that performance, you wouldn't have had the Denver Broncos trailing by two scores in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was just absolutely brutal. You can make the case that George Kittle's first half performance
1: won the Niners of the game and lost the Broncos the game. They oh, shut absolutely. him down in the second half. And it's another reminder that Joe Woods and Vance Joseph are both former secondary coaches. And let me ask you in the audience a rhetorical question. Why can't they cover a tight end? Why can't they seem to cover any tight end they play? Either a good one, a bad one, a no-name like Will Disley in Week 1. They've gotten torn up season after season by tight ends. It's ridiculous now. they guy got to go to the house in that play. Bad tackling. Darian Stewart out there is glitching on the field like he's in Madden. You have Sula Cravens can't tackle. Uh, Todd Davis, you had Bradley Chubb dropping back in coverage, covering George Kittle, and he was their offensive weapon. It'd be like if you took Tyreek Hill away from the Chiefs. That's where they go with the ball is Travis Kelsey. It, it is an indictment on Joe Woods, but it's more of the same. I'm desensitized to it now. It, it's They can't cover tight ends. It's like that's what they do. They can't cover tight ends. And you saw today, it'll happen in the future. It'll happen as long as this coaching staff is around and this
0: scheme is in place. It's just really as simple as that. And what really chaps my hide, especially, is the fact that I mean, we're talking about a third-string quarterback who went undrafted a year ago, Nick Mullins, dicing the Broncos up in the first (laughs) half. Now I get it, you know, to pump the brakes a little bit, let us not forget the Broncos were missing their all-pro corner and Chris Harris. They're also missing Tremaine Brock. So right out of the gates, their two most experienced corners are out of the equation, and that puts the onus on the other corners. But it wasn't really the cornerbacks today, Zach, that were failing to step up. I mean, even that End play to Isaac Yadam to end the second quarter, the the Pettis touchdown, you know, he got burned there. But that defensive, uh, or well, the pass interference call that preceded that, I mean, that was those, that sequence of plays was really the only time Denver's corners, in my opinion, were obviously upon my first viewing of the game. Now, I haven't studied the film yet, but on my first viewing of the game, those are the only times I can really think that stick out to me where the corners were left wanting mostly this was an issue with Denver's safeties and linebackers just completely failing to cover the middle of the field. And it's like, look, I think part of the reason why Kittle was able to run rampant in the first half is Joe Woods chose to put just man-on-man, which I can respect at first, see how you hold up. You put man-on-man, put a Justin Simmons on put a Sue Cravens on see how you hold up. But when you realize you're outclassed and outmatched by arguably – the best tight end in the NFL, even with a third-string quarterback throwing it to him, you have to adjust and start cheating and having some, not cheating literally, but cheating your linebackers in coverage, rolling down another safety to help out, putting maybe even a corner on uh, to cover him, and just shake it up a little bit and see what you can do. But whatever the answers were that Joe Woods came up with in the second half, he was just way too late getting around to it, and those Broncos' safeties. I mean, Carl Dummler did a phenomenal piece on Justin Simmons last week, a film piece for our VIP subscribers over at milehighhuddle.com, in which he basically broke down the highlights of Simmons' snaps as the nickel corner against the Bengals after Chris Harris went down, and he more than held his own as the nickel corner. I mean, he played really well last week, and so it surprised me. Now, it wasn't him more often than not early on that I can recall. It was mostly – Will Parks, it was mostly uh, Cravens as well that was getting just smoked by Kittle.
1: You know, now that you mentioned it, the cornerbacks did actually do pretty well. I was surprised they contained uh, Marquise Goodwin, who's a speedster, and he didn't have any big plays down the field in his first game back. Uh, They did pretty well. And actually, I wasn't a fan of Yadam to start the season. He's kind of grown on me. I like his development, so he's going to be right there along uh, in the future in their cornerback corps. But... I agree with you. Again, it's the safeties. Again, it's the scheme. And you you can't say injuries didn't play a part in this game. I mean, the Broncos have overcome so many things, and I think the Harris injury and the Sanders injury just broke their backs this week. But Chris Harris Jr. does not play safety. He would not have covered George Kittle. So even if he played... I And you know this happened. You can't put it on him. It, it's on the safeties. It's on the scheme. It's on the defense. It's still on Todd Davis, who can't cover. Darian Stewart can't cover. Uh, Justin Simmons has had coverage lapses this year. There's been blown assignments. That's happened even with Chris Harris Jr. in the starting lineup. So I don't put the Kittle blow up on injuries or anything like that. It comes down to execution and coaching.
0: You know, the funny thing about this game is that there were several, almost every guy that I, I wrote a piece about over the last, let's just say over the three-game winning streak, where I was kind of eating crow, following on the sword, and saying, hey, look, where where they started off bad or weren't playing well or weren't coaching well, look at what they've done now and, you know, give credit where credit's due. I did it with Vance Joseph. I even did it with Todd Davis. And, you know, Todd Davis, from a run-stopping perspective, he's been an animal. And he's even yep. improved as a coverage linebacker, at least over his previous body of work, uh, you know, pre-2018. But my goodness, was he bad today <laughs> Against the Niners. I mean, oh my gosh, it was face palm caliber. Just get him off the field. And, you know, the Broncos have probably been able to weather not having Brandon Marshall on the field. But this was really the first game in which I thought to myself, the Broncos are feeling the loss of Brandon Marshall in this moment, not being able to match up with and help in the coverage of George Kittle. I mean, Josie Jewell was outclassed in that regard. So was Todd Davis.
1: You're right. and Todd Davis is what he is, and that's a great run stopper and below average, and I'm being kind, in pass coverage. And the Broncos continue to put him on tight ends, put him on running backs, and they keep shooting themselves in the foot. That's on coaching. He can't. He's not great in coverage, so don't put him out there. That's why you have Justin Simmons. That's why you drafted Josie Jewell. That's why you traded for Sua Cravens. And I actually tweeted that during the game. It's like you acquired him with the sole intent of covering tight ends, and you don't have him on. The only weapon on this 49ers team which is their tight end it just makes no sense to me it's coaching and it's it's really all i could say in that department
0: and you know we can uh, we can acknowledge that the the referees were particularly sensitive and trigger happy with the yellow laundry especially early on with those defensive holding calls i mean judas priest right yeah let them play some football man inside the first five yards they're allowed to rough up their guy lest you should forget you know So. You see a little pull and a little push on each and every snap in every single game. But these guys, man, they were. But that's the thing. And it's something I tweeted afterwards was good teams, you know, they're not dependent on referee calls. They're just not, you know. And the Broncos, unfortunately, when you're constantly cutting it close to the bone and your margin of error is, is non-existent referees tend to have a larger role in the outcome of your games than, say, a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs, for example, can roll in and you know put up two or three touchdowns in the first quarter or two, and a bad call here or there from a ref that goes against them, it's not going to cost them the momentum of a game. It's just not. And so that's where the Broncos are. But you know what? Let's talk about Zach, Denver's new number one receiver. And no, I'm not talking about Cortland Sutton. Talking about freaking Tim Patrick, who has take seven, alert. Well, yeah, that's right, here it comes. <laughs> seven receptions for 85 yards. He should have been over a hundo had Vance Joseph challenged that toe tapping catch in the fourth quarter oh, in which he had the Broncos down on the eight-yard line. Now here's the thing, and this is another th- you know, issue I wrote about after the game, is that Vance Joseph oddly, he challenges later on that Goodwin catch slash Incomplete ends up being rolled or, or sustained as a catch. Right. He challenges that one, but he won't challenge Tim Patrick, who clearly has a catch, a toe tapping catch on the sideline. Now, here's how that affected the game. Obviously, the Broncos still went on in that possession in which Joseph chose not to challenge the Tim Patrick catch or incompletion. The Broncos still scored on that possession, but by not, it took him 12 more plays and over three and a half minutes more to get in the end zone. Whereas, had Vance Joseph challenged that play, he would have won. The Broncos would have had the ball on the eight-yard line with about six minutes and 20 seconds left in the game. Instead, by the time they punched it in with those four passes on the goal line, again, 12 plays after that Tim Patrick incompletion, you just drained half the game, what was left in the game, away and it cost you. I mean, those are the type of decisions that cost a team. And unfortunately, it harkened back to week nine quite a bit, Zach, in terms of Vance Joseph's decision-making and situational awareness late. But let's not take away from Tim Patrick, who played a hell of a game, as did Deshaun Hamilton, who I thought was just tough-nosed. I mean, he took that major shot. He took a couple of shots, honestly. Yeah, he did. And then he got his first career touchdown, so kudos to him.
1: Wait, so you're telling us that Vance Joseph cost the Broncos a game? I'm shocked. Right. But, you know, his, the thing with him, it's challenging. is so weird because he challenges what shouldn't be challenged, and he doesn't challenge what should be challenged. Yeah. It, he doesn't trust the people upstairs, or he doesn't have enough experience or awareness or ability to see what's happening on the field. And it's probably the latter, in my opinion. Uh, in terms of uh, Tim Patrick, though, the Broncos' wide receivers depth, I give them actually a lot of credit. How many teams can overcome the loss of their top two wide receivers and have these backups come in and put up, numbers it's why they drafted deshaun hamilton i was actually more impressed with him uh, i think he showed great hands great resiliency getting up after that brutal hit and he drew a flag on uh tim patrick though he looked great in preseason he won a spot on the final roster great success story reminds me a lot of like philip Lindsay in that sense mm-hmm. uh, great player i was very very impressed with them and uh keenum to his credit he was mostly accurate you know he made a couple nice throws on the run and it's good to see the broncos found the up-depth after
0: struggling through the likes of you know Cody Latimer and Benny Fowler, absolutely. But what does this say about Cortland Sutton, who once again just failed to step up and seize the moment? Because he, this is his what well what was a week nine was the was well week eight was the last time Demarius Thomas was officially in orange and blue. So it's been since week nine. That Cortland Sutton has been a starter, and he's had a couple of decent games. But this was another one. He's he's strung together two or three now in a row that have just been crap. I mean, he he got banged up today against the Niners, but yeah. even before that, I mean, he was shut out six. He targeted six times, two receptions, fourteen yards. This from who is supposed to be your number one receiver now, your big second rounder who was supposedly good enough for you to trade away the second leading all-time receiver in team history and all that. Like, I don't want to rehash all that, but like someone needs to get in Sutton's grill, whether that's Zach Azani, the wide receivers coach, whether that's Musgrave, whether that's Keenum. Someone needs to get in his grill because that inspired effort that you saw from Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton today, I mean, you need. we should be seeing that from Cortland Sutton, but we're not.
1: Right, and I said it on last week's show that he's a he was a passable number two, but in no way, shape, or form is he ready to be a number one yet. He was raw coming out of college, and he was a player that they stuck well behind to open training camp: Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders for a reason. Ideally, right now he'd be a good number three, an excellent number three, and a good number two. But he's not number one, and you're seeing why. He's not good enough to beat Richard Sherman's coverage. He's not good enough to carry this re- offense on his shoulders. That's why he was such a good compliment to a speedster like Emmanuel Sanders. In time, Sutton will become that number one receiver. He's just not there yet. And I agree with you uh, in the sense that someone needs to motivate him a little bit. And Vance actually has called him out. You've actually written about it recently. He's called him out a couple times now in the last couple months. And you can tell that he's not yet there ingrained as a star player. He still has work to do. So he'll get there. But there's going to be some hiccups along the way, and you're seeing it today.
0: I think he's just kind of stuck in his own head a little bit. You know, and speaking of head, Philip Lindsay, I think he's kind of allowed the hype to go to his. Oh. Now there was that great piece that NFL, uh, the NFL did, uh, NFL Network or NFL.com. I'm sorry, I can't remember which one it was, but it was Terrell Davis who works for NFL Network, and he sat down with James Palmer and had that lunch or no, that dinner. I'm sorry with Philip Lindsay, in which, you know, we were able to kind of get a little insight into. The phone call from Lindsey to Terrell Davis asking for permission to wear the number 30. And then we also got a little bit more of a backstory on what happened in the moments immediately following the draft in which the Broncos call uh, wanting to sign Philip Lindsey. And he's ta- explained again, we talked about this on a couple of past podcasts, but he was very angry at the Broncos that they didn't use one of their sixth or seventh round picks at least. To take him in the draft, and yet, you know, they're blowing up his phone trying to get him in in Denver. And he told Davis and uh, Palmer in that that dinner that he told Coach Joseph and John Elway that he was going to become their starting running back, which is actually... Quite amazing that you're getting the phone call, you're pissed off, you didn't get drafted. Here comes a team knocking at your door, at least wanting to sign you. You Come compete is normally the conversation, right? Hey, we really liked you. Things didn't shake out well enough in the draft for us to grab you, but we want you to come compete. We're going to give you a shot at the roster. But he's like, okay, um, well, I'm going to come and beat your draft picks out. And your incumbent veteran, Devontae Booker, and I'm going to be your starter. And he did just that. So in that sense, hats off to him. Tip your cap to him. He's one of the great stories of the NFL this year. But I think some of that was going to his head a little bit, combined with that enormously talented 49ers defensive line who just completely – I mean, they – we've talked about the Broncos' new offensive line combination, stepping up and and playing above their collective ability – but this was the game that they bounced back down to the mean because they were all going against first rounders across the board, and the Niners just controlled the line of scrimmage completely. I mean, if you look at the Broncos rushing, I mean, this is one of the top rushing teams in the NFL. The Denver Broncos they did get over 100 as a team, but it they had 103 rushing yards, but it took uh, let's see, 30, excuse me, 24 rushing yards from Case Keenum to get him over the hump. I mean, Philip Lindsay was held to 30 yards rushing on 14 attempts. And really, he only had one noteworthy play, which was his touchdown. And even that, you know, whatever it was, I think it was a three-yard touchdown. But mm-hmm. that's really it. I mean, they Lindsey didn't do squat for the Broncos today.
1: Man, Chad's coming with the fire tonight. Booyah. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not going to say that it went to his head because, like I mentioned, the Niners played great defense, great gap control, great tackling. They get paid too. And the entire Broncos offense was kind of stuck in mud for most of the day. I think it was just a bad effort all around. I will say, though, that I think the Broncos as a whole kind of started to read their own press clippings a little bit, and they kind of expended their energy in the last couple games. They were like their Super Bowl, so to speak. They upset two AFC playoff contenders, and they came into this game looking tired and stagnant and no energy, no passion. So I think that, in combined with the injuries, it took a lot out of them, and I think you saw what happened. It was a letdown game, a trap game, and the Broncos let down and got trapped, and they, they escaped the Bengals' you know, grasp, grasp last week, and they couldn't do it today. So it's just a typical trap game, and the Broncos came up short.
0: Well, before we get to the Mile High Mailbag, get to some of your questions and reactions from Week 14, let's briefly take a step back and talk about implications and how this affects the AFC playoff picture. Because – I mean, the Broncos got some help going into this game in terms of the Chiefs beating the Ravens. So, took an overtime, but the Chiefs were able to emerge victorious over the Ravens. Unfortunately, the Dolphins won, the Titans won, and the Colts won. So, the Broncos had one team that they needed to lose, drop one, the team that was directly ahead of them. But in order to keep pace with these other teams who also won in Week 14... The Broncos also had to do it, and they and they just couldn't. And so now you've got this letdown of a game, this emotional. They knew they had to win out to even really, to, to let's just say, to maximize their shot at the playoffs. Now I'm not sure they can come back. I'm, I'll have to kind of read the signs from these guys post-game and then as we get through the week when they're at the podium and try and kind of measure the tonality and and feel where the energy is at from this team. But this wouldn't surprise me if this loss just took all the wind out of their sails because now you've got Cleveland at home next week on Saturday, and then you go on the road for what's another trap game in the Raiders, and then home again for the final stand against the Chargers. So I think looking at this now, I mean – I think the best case scenario, I mean obviously best case scenario is that the Broncos finish 9 and 7. That would be the best case. But mm-hmm. I think a more realistic scenario now <clears throat> would be 8-8. Eight eight yep. Yeah.
1: You took the words literally right out of my mouth where this loss was so bad and so disheartening that it could snowball through the rest of the year and it could lead to another losing streak potentially. I'm right there with you. I think 8-8 eight and eight right now. The race to mediocrity is what they should be aiming for. It is not going to be easy either. The Browns were pulled off a huge victory. They're a really good team with Baker Mayfield. They're surprising a lot of people. Uh, the Raiders beat the Steelers today. Derek Carr is playing good ball. That team is playing good. You know They're kind of fired up right now. Then you have the Chargers, a division Game, which is never easy. I mean, winning out was tough enough, but even getting to nine and seven for this team was, I think, an uphill challenge. And now um, their playoff hopes, I think, it's like twenty percent. They had to win out and hope some other teams lost around them, but it was all predicated on winning. And they dropped a winnable game today, and it pretty much, not mathematically,
0: but you know, virtually, removed them from contention. They had to win, and they came up short. Let's talk even further about implications. In fact. It's not necessarily me putting on orange-colored glasses this time around, but here's an orange-colored glasses take for you, if you will. And this comes from former Bronco, two-time Super Bowl-winning uh, wide receiver Brandon Stokely, who now, of course, is a daytime uh, radio guy in Denver for 104.3 The Fan. He tweeted after the game, I think Vance is safe if they go 8-8, eight and eight, but it will probably mirror last year when John Elway said he had to sleep on it. This year, he might have nightmares and not sleep good. If they get to nine wins, it's a sure thing Vance stays. What are your thoughts on that particular take? If the Broncos get to nine wins, does Vance stay? And with everything we know up to this point, in the context of the way the stretch run has shaken out so far, and then also considering the fact, Zach, that when Gary Kubiak stepped down, he stepped down on the heels of a 9-7 and season in which John Elway begged almost and adamantly tried to persuade Gary Kubiak to stay.
1: I'm a little less optimistic. I thought a playoff berth would for sure get Joseph another year, and I thought 9-7 and would give him a pretty good shot. Now, I mean, with this kind of loss, it was so damaging, I think, to his resume and to a bad team and to Kyle Shanahan. Most of all, that's, you know, that rubs in Elway's ego. Nine and seven might not do it. Nine and seven might not do it. Eight and eight, I think anything under that mark, he's gone for sure. And even nine and seven, like you said with Gary Kubiak, I mean, they fired John Fox after a winning season. I mean, nothing is off the table for them. If they go 9-7, and seven, and depending on how they win these games, the result of these games, that's going to determine whether or not he stays. If they just go through the motions now, it's going to spell doom for Vance Joseph. If they continue playing hard, then I think it could persuade Elway. But it's going to come down to wins and losses, ultimately, and they have some tough opponents on their schedule. It is not going to be easy. Personally, though, and my final answer, 8-8, eight and eight, I don't think will do it. I think 9-7 and seven will give him a shot, but anything less than that, I think he gets his pink slip.
0: I agree. And we've said on the show earlier in the season that anything less than a playoff berth likely spells doom for Vance Joseph. And I, I'm sticking to that. There's a shot that Denver will hold on to VJ if they finish 9-7, and seven, but that would very much be determined on just the overall complexion of how this season finishes out. you know. Right. Uh, but you've got Baker Mayfield coming to town next week, and who knows? Maybe that's a game because of... It being a high-profile quarterback, you know, this team is able to get their dander up and, and ra- raise their level of play to meet the competition. But there's just a part of me that that feels like this is the kind of a death nail type of loss for a team that just couldn't afford to take even one small step backward, and it doesn't spell good things for, for Vance Joseph. Now, one thing that's going to factor into Elway's decision, and I'm sure it factored into his decision last year, is who's going to be available out there on the market. Now, we heard reports earlier in the season that John Harbaugh was likely out in Baltimore, but now he's got this team with a rookie quarterback competing for a playoff spot. Who knows? They still might fire Harbaugh or part ways with him at the end of the year, but I'll believe that particular situation when I see it. However, if they do, I think the Broncos will quickly fire Vance Joseph and do everything they can to try and get John Harbaugh in Denver. But do you think that also applies? Here's an interesting thing I found myself writing when I was updating the head coaching carousel uh, uh, article on the website was as it relates to Mike McCarthy. is mm-hmm. Obviously, he's been completely underwhelming. It can be argued he's wasted the tail end of Aaron Rodgers' prime in Green Bay and all that, but John Elway rolled the dice on an unproven young guy, first-time head coach in Vance Joseph, all of denver's successful head coaches in the history of the team have been retreads guys who had failed in their first opportunities as head coaches but succeeded with denver as their second time now mike mccarthy you know he's one of the winningest head coaches in the modern nfl right he's he'd won a lot of games and of course one of the reasons for that is because he was in green bay for so long but he has a super bowl ring he's a quote-unquote adult at the table whereas vj's at the kids table like on thanksgiving you know you got the adults (laughs) on the main table and the kids sitting at the little round table off to the side vj's on that little round table off to the side and in comes papa mccarthy who might and as he's an offensive mind offers that kind of confidence and stability that he might be able to bring so i wonder how persuasive or attractive a guy like McCarthy might be to Elway and whether or not that could factor in when it's all said and done. If you got the Broncos sitting at nine and seven and missing the playoffs or eight and eight, and you got a guy in Mike McCarthy who might be interested to come here, makes you wonder what John Elway might ultimately choose to do. I'm with
1: you on the fact that they'll probably go for a retread or a veteran coach, a guy who has actually held the position before. I would prefer John Harbaugh, though. I don't really want anything to do with Mike McCarthy. Uh, If he can't win with Aaron Rodgers, what would he do with Case Keenum? That's all I wonder to myself. I mean, he reminds me almost as an offensive version of Vance Joseph with his in-game mismanagement, uh, blowing challenges, blowing timeouts, this and that. I don't want him. I, I really don't. There's a reason why he was fired, and if he can't win with a future Hall of Fame quarterback he is surely not going to succeed with Case Keenum and this offense give me John Harbaugh let him get some young uh, up-and-coming assistants some creative offensive minds and I think they'll have a better team in place I think with better coaching and better stability from that position from under the headset they will be successful and uh, this is a connection with Gary Kubiak in Baltimore it makes a lot of sense a guy can come in and instill his culture right away I am all in favor of John Harbaugh I don't want anything to do with Mike McCarthy
0: and I completely understand that take. And I'm I'm still on the fence with regard to McCarthy myself. Like, my, my initial gut reaction would be no, but it just depends on how things shake out at the end of this year. And would the Broncos be upgrading in any way over Vance Joseph by bringing in Mike McCarthy? If you can, maybe you do it. If it's a toss-up, maybe you don't make that change. But let's move on to the Mile High Mailbag because we're running out of time here tonight because – As always, Zach and I are your football priests, whether it's through thick or thin, wins or losses. We're here to offer the absolution and answers, as always, to your burning Broncos questions. And sometimes you just got to get things off your chest, unburden your soul, and exercise the demons, especially after such a debilitating and and, um, disappointing loss as this was at the hands of Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. And we'll start here with Mr. Ronald Newman Jr. on Twitter. He says, if there was ever a game that warranted the firing of the entire coaching staff, this was it. Hashtag embarrassing. Hashtag what more evidence do you need? I mean, Von
1: Miller getting pulled from the game for excessive offsides is peak Vance Joseph Broncos era. And it's it's three games left to go. They're not going to fire him now. It'll probably happen at the end of the year. Or it will happen if they're going to fire him or around January 1st, January 2nd. I mean, this game was the epitome of what Joseph football has been for the last two years. It was sloppy. It was mismanaged, poorly coached, poorly planned for. Um, It, it just really was a Vance Joseph coach Broncos team in a nutshell.
0: Now, here's one from Tucker Ibarra at TuckBill34 on Twitter, who says, why does Vance Joseph say things that make sense but then completely disregard his own advice on game day? I'm not sure specifically what you're um, pointing to there, Tucker, but I think overall I, I get what you're saying. He talks a good game, right? He, he says things that uh, make sense at the podium. But then on game day, he does things that are completely mystifying. And, and this goes to Joe Woods as well, Zach, but it's like just when the fan base starts believing in and feeling like they can trust this team a little bit, they go on the road and lose to a 2-10 and 10 team in really one of the most ridiculous ways possible, letting their only good offensive player, a tight end to boot, put 200 yards and a touchdown on them.
1: You know, something I've noticed about Joseph this year watching his press conferences and him on the sidelines is that I think he's trying too hard to show that he's this tough nose coach now, not a player's coach. I mean, when they were winning, he was saying stuff like, oh, we're, we're nothing yet. We're still below under 500 and this and that. I think he was trying a little too hard to prove that he can be this uh, not so friendly with the players. He can still some sort of discipline with them. And I think he's deep down, I'm not a psychologist by any means, he's a little insecure with himself as a coach. He doesn't really trust or have a feel for him in that position. That's what I gather, and that's why you're seeing such inconsistency. Last year, it was Club Meta at Dove Valley. This year, it's apparently, you know, keep going and nothing's good enough. It, it, you have to find your own way, and you can't just copycat other personalities. John Elway talking to him last year had something to do with that. He told him, listen, gotta take control of the team. You gotta be a little more um, tough-nosed, but I think he went a little too too extreme with that and that's why you're seeing so many inconsistencies with him on
0: Sundays here's one from Ruan Pablo says Keenum on fourth and three throws a one-yard pass that's that second one we were I referenced earlier to Philip Lindsay how can we trust a quarterback and the whole staff that trusts in Keenum your answer
1: You can. You really can't trust the Broncos to consistently put out a winning product because you saw what they could do against the Steelers. You saw what they could do against the Niners. They are completely up and down, completely inconsistent from series to series, not even from game to game. They're a different team from series to series, and it stems from the top down, and the top actually includes John Owe. He is not blameless in this entire operation. It starts with him and works its way down from the coaching staff, Vance Joseph down, uh, the entire thing really needs a new adjustment.
0: Here's one from Paul on Twitter, at Paul826. Does this loss put a dagger in VJ's fate, or will injuries excuse him and give him 2019? Which I think is a very salient point here, because one of his arguments to John Elway is going to certainly be, John, look at what we accomplished in the face of just mounting injury after mounting injury, because you can argue that the Broncos lost four Pro Bowl caliber players in Matt Paradis, Ron Larry, Chris Harris, and now Emmanuel Sanders, and that's to say nothing of Max Garcia, that's to say nothing of Jeff Hierman, who going into this season, you know, were lackluster in terms of what we expected from them, but as the season wore on and the team had to lean on them, proved their worth and their medal and how important they were. Because that's one thing. If we're point if we're gonna talk about Case Keenum and Bill Musgrave today in, in their struggles in San Francisco, they were not able to use the middle of the field because Matt LaCosse can't get it done on his own. I mean, he's he's a lucky to be on the roster type of player to begin with, and now he is your starting tight end. If you had Jeff Hyreman in this particular game, I think you would have seen the Broncos be able to, uh, you would have seen them utilize the middle of the field a lot more instead of constantly throwing it outside the numbers. Because if you're the Niners, that colors how you're going to scheme against the Broncos. You're going to basically stop, sell out to stop outside the numbers and make Case Keenum trust himself in his team in his, Inside guys like his tight ends and his slot receivers to make a play over the middle. And so all this adds up. If you're Vance Joseph and you're trying to sell yourself or defend yourself in your body of work and your resume in 2018, it's a pretty compelling argument to say, look, let's say the Broncos finish eight and eight. But even if they do finish eight and eight, having started three and six, the way the team ultimately finished down the stretch like that, I mean, that's a pretty strong argument for a team who lost as many players as they did.
1: You know, to your point, Jake Butt probably would have helped too. Another guy who was injured. You know, bef- coming into today's game, I-, I thought it was a win-win situation for Vance Joseph. Either the Broncos win and he can say, oh, look how great I did despite these injuries, or they lose and say, well, look what happened because of the injuries. But it's not that they lose. It's the way in which they lose, to me, that I think will dictate his fate. They got outclassed today. There is no excusing that. There is no disputing that. They were outcoached, outplayed, hustled from the opening whistle. So if they continue to lose games like that, it won't matter how many injuries held this squad or you know uh, cause them to go in disarray it stems from systematic failure instilled from the coaching staff so whether he stays will be dependent on how they play not the final result so much it's how they play over the final three games
0: yeah we'll see how it shakes out and there are a few more questions here left in the mile high mailbag but we're going to have to get to them again later this week Zach and I can circle back and and do another episode leading up to the Browns game because I, tonight anyway, have run out of time. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. As always, you can find my partner Zach Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman247, myself at Chad and Jensen. Also, don't forget you want to go and follow our show on Twitter at Huddle Up HuddleUpPod so that you can get in to the Mile High Mailbag each and every week. Those of you who submitted questions that we weren't able to get to tonight we'll uh, we'll circle back don't worry we won't ignore some of your questions and concerns we'll get to them here eventually later this week but in the meantime you guys make sure you're subscribing don't forget to leave a creative review five star rating for the show especially if you're listening on itunes or stitcher and don't lose a uh, complete heart yet i mean this thing we've seen crazier things happen in fact zach 2011 now, granted, you're going back six years, and it took every blessing the Broncos could possibly get from the football gods to make it happen, but the team finished 8-8. Eight and eight. Not only did they win the AFC West, which obviously ain't going to happen this year, but not only did they win the division, but they lost their final three games. They backed into the playoffs and then went on to win a game and beat the Steelers and make it to the divisional round. So the NFL's weird, parity reigns supreme, Zach, but it wouldn't surprise me to see the Broncos pull one last final rabbit out of their hat, knowing the history and the luck of this organization.
1: Yeah, you know, this game, it was a bad loss, but it, it shouldn't make you walk along any bridges. It wasn't that serious. It, they're still in contention technically. They can still make a run, and crazier things have happened. Teams in front of them could lose, and they there's a slight chance they sneak in at 9-7. It was a damaging loss, but listen, even if they don't make the playoffs, let's say they finish 9-7. and seven, That's a four-win turnaround. With all this injury, you've had so many young players ball out. You have a young nucleus of talent you can build upon for years to come. If you look at it that way, it was a successful season. But if you want the playoffs, it's not looking terribly
0: likely. That's right. So we'll uh, we'll continue to analyze and tackle this thing as we mow through the the remaining stretch on the season. And in the meantime, make sure you guys are staying on top of the website. MileHighHuddle.com is the easiest way to get there. Zach and I are publishing multiple stories each and every day on the Denver Broncos. Some of them are reserved, of course, for VIP subscribers, but the majority of them, especially when we're covering news, they're always going to be free. And then each and every week, we, whether it's myself or someone else like Carl or Nick or Eric or even Josh, we're going to publish film pieces breaking down down different facets and elements of the Broncos from an X's and O's perspective. Sometimes it's from a personnel, a scouting perspective. So you're not going to want to miss that. And uh, in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Keep your chin up. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.